Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, as we rush through our busy lives, self-care is marketed to us as a cure for all that stress. Yoga retreats, bath salts, and meditation apps all claim to offer the relief we need. But do they really? We'll find out what does work with Dr. Pooja Lakshman. She's the author of Real Self-Care and she's a psychiatrist and women's mental health specialist. She'll offer actionable steps that lead to wellness. That's coming up next on Forum. Good morning, welcome to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg, I'm in today for Mina Kim. I'm all about self-care. I was a yoga teacher for years. I love massages. I absolutely love hot springs. And all of these things are really great. But I'll admit that they don't really last that long and they don't really help me or anyone really face climate change or war or abuses of power. So maybe there are some better solutions for self-care. That's what Dr. Pooja Lakshman believes. She joins us to talk about real self-care, the kind that matters. And she's a psychiatrist and the author of the new book, Real Self-Care, a transformative program for redefining wellness, crystals, cleanses, and bubble baths not included. Welcome, Pooja. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. So let's back up. When you were 28 years old, you kind of blew up your life and you eventually landed in what would some might call a wellness cult. What was going on? Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I'm 39 now and and fully a professional, but uh, about 20 years ago, I found myself as, you know, a psychiatry resident. I'd sort of checked all the boxes. I'd become a doctor, gone to the Ivy League schools, gotten married, done all the things that I was supposed to. And, um, but I wasn't happy, you know, I, I didn't know how to be happy. Um, and then I was looking around in psychiatry and sort of feeling just as powerless as my patients in that I didn't know how to fix, um, you know, all the the very, very deep social systemic problems that are the core issue for many Americans. Um, so I, I left it all and, and I moved into this commune in San Francisco. Um, and uh, it was focused on female orgasm and and sexuality and meditation. Um, and, um, and during that time, I got to really explore the neuroscience um, behind female pleasure. I worked with the folks at the Rutgers Orgasm Lab, um, where uh, there's one of two labs in the whole world that has fMRI 
imaging, looking at the brain. Um, but, you know, at the end of those two years, I, um, I learned that there's just as many inconsist inconsistencies and um, conflicts in the spiritual world, in the wellness world, in the woo-woo stuff, as there is in mainstream medicine. And you really can't run away from your own internal problems. Um, ultimately, real self-care is in your own decisions in your own real life. And, and, you know, I went through years of psychoanalysis after that. And psychoanalysis is, is the, you know, very hardcore therapy where you're laying on the couch and the analyst is behind you. Um, a shout out to my analyst in Washington, DC and DuPont circle. Um, <laughs> if she's listening, um, you know, and, and, and had to get treatment for my own depression and anxiety. And, and so I, you know, it's, that was a decade ago. And, um, what I'm doing with real self-care now is I'm not only kind of sharing a little bit about that part of my life, but more importantly, kind of, I think, pulling the curtain back on the fact that there really is actually no magic solution. And even this book that I wrote, I say over and over again, I'm like, I don't have all the answers. You know, the answers, there is no shortcut here. It really is like you have to do the hard work in your own life and, um, it, it, there's never going to be some sort of like magic wellness solution, even if it seems like a feminist utopia. It's um, it, it's usually not going to be that simple. So you crossed off the list. You know, cult does not qualify as <laughs> self care. Uh, what else does not qualify as as self care in your opinion? What what falls into the category of faux self care? Yeah. So when I think about faux self care, I conceptualize it as prescribed from the outside. And usually it's a noun. So, you know, we talk about, you mentioned like the massages, the bubble baths, it could be a product, you know, um, a meditation app, um, a yoga class, a face cream. One of the things that demarcates faux self-care is that it maintains the status quo in your relationships or in your family. And, and it doesn't do anything to change the larger systems or the larger structures in your life. This um, is, yeah. Go ahead. No, please go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and so it's not necessarily that I'm trying to demonize the bubble baths or, you know, in my book, I talk about, um, Esalen, right. We're, mm -hmm. we're in San Francisco, right. Um, which I loved, I love, I loved the, um, sulfur baths there. Um, but you have to know what it can do for you, you know, um, and, and that can be an escape, right. And it's not that escape is bad, but you need to know what you're using it for. So one person could actually go to um, a bubble bath or go to a retreat and be doing it in a way that is really mindful in the sense of setting boundaries with um, their work so they can take this time off, being compassionate with themselves around what they're going to get out of this time, not berating themselves when they come back into their regular life and aren't able to uphold everything that they learned during the retreat. That's a very different type of experience than somebody who goes in with the false notion that if I take this bubble bath or if I get away for a week, that all of a sudden all my problems are going to be fixed. But there is real value, right, in that time. I mean, I think as as a working mom, as a single mom, even that 
you know, I kind of think most of the time my tank can feel pretty empty (laughs) and I feel pretty tired. And so, you know, if I get a yoga class in or if I take a bubble bath or if I get a massage, it does feel like it adds back into my tank and gives me a little bit of buoyancy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I am a nine month old, so I totally get it. Um, Again, it's less about the thing and it's more about how you do it. So there's somebody who could be going to that yoga class and instead be super focused on whether they can do crow pose and whether they're wearing the right Lululemon leggings. That's a very different experience than someone who says, actually, I feel so much better when I have that 90 minutes once a week to get to yoga and go in person and be physically present. Right. So it's, it's, are you, how are you actually using the thing? as opposed to the thing being right or wrong. Well, let's get into exactly what then doing it doing it would be. So what 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 does real self-care look like? Yeah, so real self-care is actually an internal decision-making process and that can be layered into everything that you do. Um, instead of thinking of it as carving 15 minutes out of your day to meditate, Instead, I'm proposing that we think about real self-care as our internal decision-making and agency around how we decide to build our lives. So those are some of the biggest decisions that you'll make in your life, like who you pick as a partner, what type of career you have, whether or not you have a kid. Um, All of these different huge life choices can be approached through a framework of real self-care and kind of, again, bringing it back to our own individual agency and understanding what really matters for us and what are our real values. What I hear you saying there is is really taking time to step back and make time to really slow down to make the big decisions and that those are actually more caring and will take care of your well-being a lot more than racing through life, maybe making big decisions too quickly, but trying to squeeze in a yoga class. Exactly, exactly. And as you as you talk about that, I also recognize for many folks listening, you might be just like, well, Pooja, what are you even talking about? I don't have time. I'm drowning. Right. Like, how am I supposed to find the time to even think about this? And that's where, again, it comes back to this systems issue that I know, you know, we'll touch on. Like, the reason we all feel like we're drowning is because we are living in a society where, you know, 30 million Americans are uninsured, where 25% of American workers can't take a paid sick day off work, right? We are kind of constantly swimming upstream. And so it feels impossible to be able to grip back any of that time. How do you suggest we do that? So we're racing, we're drowning. you got a mom with three kids who really, you know, really can't catch a breath. And then you're telling her to slow down and make her bigger life decisions, you know, slower. What does that actually look like in a tangible way on the ground? Yeah. Yeah. You know, my patients are always really angry at me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm mad at my therapist a lot too. (laughs) Um, So I think that there's two prongs to it. So one is if there is a right first i want to acknowledge like this is really hard i'm not saying that this is easy and i'm living this too right i'm not saying that this is some sort of magic magic panacea but i think first just like recognizing that the system is stacked against you right this is betrayal not burnout right it's not your fault and then saying to yourself okay if i know all of this is too much how can i come to it with 
a different lens. Instead of constantly paying attention to that inner critical voice that's telling you you're not doing enough, you're doing a bad job, you know, just is really berating you, can you instead sort of insert some space and some curiosity and say, well, gosh, like, why do I think that I should be able to do all of this? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, allowing yourself to push back on, again, what we've internalized from whether it's end stage capitalism or white supremacy or patriarchy, right? All of this um, internalized systemic um, toxicity, really, understanding that it's coming from the outside. So I don't know if I answered your question, actually. I guess I just want to know, where do we start? So you got a mom, she's stressed out, the system stacked against her. Great. She knows that. Then what? Yeah. So the first principle of real self-care is actually boundaries. And I say that with the full acknowledgement that everybody listening is probably like, gosh, if I hear one more person talk about boundaries, I'm just going (laughs) to, I think the reason that everybody's talking, there's two things. Like one is that everyone talks about it because it is really, really hard to do. Um, It's also not that any one specific, you know, because of my personal history, I think it's always really important for me in any conversation to acknowledge, like, I don't have some special secret or some special sauce. Like there is no special secret or special sauce. It's, these are just hard things. But, you know, when I was starting my um, faculty position at George Washington University in 2016, my mentor took me out to lunch and she gave me a piece of advice. She said, you don't have to answer your phone. You can let it go to voicemail and listen to what they want and then decide what to do. And that was kind of revolutionary for me because at that time I just finished like med school residency and I had not thought that that was uh, something that was possible. Um, I'm going to cut you off there because we're about to go to a break, but we are going to talk more about boundaries and those revolutionary things that you can do to slow down your life and actually really take care of yourself. We've been talking to Dr. Pooja Lakshman. She's a psychiatrist and the author of the new book, Real Self-Care. Stay with us. We'll be right back to continue this conversation and get some real inside actionable steps on how to better take care and create a more sustainable life. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back. I'm Leslie McClurg, and you're listening to Forum, and we're talking about stress and self-care with Dr. Pooja Lakshman. She's a psychiatrist and author of the new book, Real Self-Care, and we want to hear from you, bring in the listeners to this conversation. What does well-being mean to you? What helps you recharge? Is it challenging to take care of yourself? 
Or is it easier to take care of others? We want to hear your stories. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Let's go to a caller in San Jose. Uh, Kira, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Hi, I'm calling. Um, yeah, I love this topic. Thank you for having this conversation. Um, I am a mom of a six-year-old, and I'm working mom. And, you know, it, it is an additional amount of stress in your life. And being someone who's used spirituality and self-help um, for years, I've, I know just what you mean about it seeming like that was going to help me throughout this process. Um, but I still am in, enduring stress in a whole nother kind of way that I wasn't really ready for. But I, I have come to find out I'm now 42 um, and being intentional about things, um, you know, walking, going for a walk with the intention of releasing the stress helps to have like a meditative walk of like, you know, really insightful thoughts or taking that bath with the intention of, you know, having de-stressing and and having some kind of, you know, insight is way more useful than to just take the bath to check it off my box because that bath will be filled with like, you know, thoughts of, you know, all the things I have to do in the day rather than actually intentionally trying to wind down. But that was my comment and I, I appreciate the subject. So thank you again. Thank you for sharing, Kara. I can admit, and I don't really want to admit this, but I was sitting in the bath last night having my really relaxing bath with my phone sitting next to me, and I could not resist reaching for it and checking off a few emails as I was sitting there. So I totally relate. Thank you for sharing. You know, before we went into a break, we were talking to Dr. Pooja Lakshman about boundaries, and I, I cut you off there. So please continue. At the time, you were telling us a story about how your boss was telling you that you don't actually don't have to pick up your phone all the time, that you can have a boundary with your phone. So kind of flesh out boundaries a little bit more for us. Yeah. So with the boundaries, you know, in that example, it's sort of like I, sometimes it would be the front desk calling where there's paperwork to fill out and I can decide, okay, I'll do that at the end of the day. Or other times it's a patient that needs a refill on their medication. And I know that this patient, if they go just a day without meds is really going to be in trouble. So I can get back to them right away. So the aha moment for me was realizing that my boundary is in the pause the pause is the boundary, and then you decide yes, no, or negotiate. So a boundary is not always saying no. Like a healthy boundary is not a brick wall. It's actually, it's one of those flexible nets that's on top of like a um, a trampoline, right? You can, it's flexible, things can pass through, but it's in understanding that you can take the time and the space to pause and then decide that's the boundary. And also just touching on that um, to the listener that just called in, I loved her description of sort of how she slowed down. And I think that's really like, that's what I'm trying to get at with this message with real self-care. It's it's the internal process that goes on for you before you come to the bath, before you go to the yoga class. Like what is the state, what is your internal internal state that you're bringing to those things? And um one word for that could be slowing down. I think that when you tell people to slow down, though, folks are understandably defensive. 
right? Because it feels really tough and almost impossible to slow down, especially if you're a mom, especially if you're a parent. So I think with um, trying to sort of make some of this psychological work accessible, for me, part of it is kind of bringing in these different um, examples that can be, I think, hopefully feel like it's, it's actually doable. Well, Matthew has a comment. He's a massage therapist. He says, "I'm <laughs> right, <laughs> kind of yeah." He's he's got a good pushback here. Okay. I, I'm struck by the sweeping evaluation of one that body work is faux self care. Many of my clients learn how to ask for what they need in my studio for the first time in their lives, and they're gratified to the experience. Uh, of total positive regard and unconditional acceptance in my sessions. I provide them with strategies for breaking up patterns that produce stress. In reality, I'm working as a health educator and a coach, which goes much further than just temporary relief. Isn't it possible that some, even many, practitioners are advocates engaging the whole person and the systemic issues? What do you think? Yeah. So I guess I have two responses to that. First, I'm not saying that bodywork or massage is bad. Um, I was just talking to a colleague yesterday who's going through somatic experiencing therapy, which can be hugely powerful, right? I think though that, you know, what I see in my practice and, you know, I, I'm a psychiatrist specializing in women's mental health. All of my patients are women. Many of my patients are mothers. Um, people feel burdened and guilty when they don't have time to get to the body work, when they don't have time to get to the massage or the yoga. And they feel like it's their fault because they don't know how to fit it into their schedule. So the reason that I'm kind of using these things as examples is because I think for many folks, especially in my patient population, it feels way too lux luxurious to even be able to access mas massage or body work. And um, I really think that this is about a question of sort of like, how do you value your time? And hopefully, eventually, it will get you to a place where you can see that you can slow down and you can do some of these different modalities. But um, it's in that personal decision making that for me as a psychiatrist, how I'm actually conceptualizing real self-care. Um, because I think also... Um, there is no one size fits all. For some folks, it's going to be a massage. For some folks, it's going to be, hey, I really love my Peloton. Um, hey, I really, um, I just, I, I love immersing myself in sci-fi fiction, right? It's, you can't apply like a one size fits all. And I think when we talk the way that self-care has been commodified and so consumer oriented um, makes people feel like if, the one that they're doing doesn't work, then it's something, then something's wrong with them, that they're not doing it right. And so that's what I'm trying to speak to here. I also think too, I mean, one thing I got out of your book was that I noticed that if I don't get on my meditation cushion, or I don't take the yoga class, that it can kind of create more guilt. And then like, you know, if I lash out at my kid, because I my patience is low, then I blame myself for not only lashing out at my kid, but also because I didn't get on my meditation cushion that morning. So it's like my self care is adding can can add to to my overall stress. Yeah. And I do think that in some communities, I talk about this in the book, like the self care in itself can become achievement. You know, there's folks who um, whatever their sort of wellness modality is, it sort of takes over their personality, right? And they kind of use that as another means to an end to kind of um, 
uphold their sense of self-worth. Um, and I think there's, you know, obviously there's a range here and right. I'm not trying to demonize anything, but I think like it, it, I think it's always helpful to kind of bring nuance to these conversations. Well, let's go to Caitlin. Let's bring another caller into the conversation. Caitlin in Hayward, you're on the air. Hi, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Hi, I appreciate this conversation. Um, I was part of the Great Recession of Teachers back in 2021. I was a science teacher for over 10 years and uh, found that I was really lacking self-care. And I've also been practicing Buddhism for 14 years, and I still didn't have a a good sense of that um, internal pause. And so I had to step away from my career for over a year before I could navigate what this real self-care meant for me. And I'm just, I feel so validated by you, Dr. Lexman. I definitely need to get your book (laughs) and and wanted to just say that I am truly linking arms with you and trying to give back, um, you know, through different words, but this idea of real self-care to educators, because uh, the, the thing that you said before, that this is, this isn't burnout, this is betrayal. And I think a lot of educators right now are, are feeling the intersectionality of oppression <laughs> through all kinds of spaces in the classroom and in society. And, and we take it so hard on ourselves. And for me, you know, as a, as a really, really good educator, I recognize that there's, there's actually so much more value in, in what you're calling this pause uh, so that we can make a real decision about, do I have to do it all right now? Can I see myself more as part of a team? And can I create community for myself so that I can be a whole human in order to go back to the classroom and do an incredible job? Um, so this, this is just such a, I'm so glad you're here today. I feel really, really excited to read your book and use it as uh uh, as like part of the the program that I'm building and, and bringing to teachers. Um, so I just really appreciate uh, you putting lots of vocabulary to the things that I had come to on my own. Thank you so much. I want to go to another caller, but anything you want to jump in there and say quickly, Pooja? Yeah, I just want to say there's so much overlap between the burden and stress that teachers feel and that healthcare workers feel. And for me, so much of this came out of my own personal frustration with um, being a healthcare worker. So I, my heart goes out to you and, um, and thank you for listening so deeply and for um, calling in. Uh, Let's go to Duff in San Francisco. Duff, you're on the air. Hey, good morning. Um, I feel like we're dancing around like an elephant in the room and it's, capitalism uh, at its core that's causing most of this and all the self-care in the world isn't going to fix anything until we dismantle the system that we live under, you know, and uh, there's a, there's a podcast I follow. I think it's called upstream and their slogan is you don't hate Mondays, you hate capitalism. And uh, you know, before the pandemic I was eating right and getting exercise and that helps a little, but you realize very quickly that the world doesn't fall apart when we all stop going to work except for the, the people that are paid the least and treated the worst had to keep going to work. And now like the, we we've seen behind the curtain on some level and, and that's what's causing me stress these days. Are you doing anything different? I mean, is there a way that you're trying to burn down the system, Duff? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'm trying, you know, I'm just one person, but more and more of my friends have been radicalized by this and we're not like, you know, I'm, I'm solidly Gen X, and uh, the idea that we could somehow accomplish what our parents did in this system now 
is a pipe dream. And I think a lot of my friends have been really radicalized in the last couple of years to be anti-capitalist. But it's, you know, it's a pretty monolithic thing to fight these days. Well, Pooja, you, you definitely address this in your book, that, that, that real self-care can actually, you know, shift some, make some systemic changes. Uh, you have the example of the story of a, a woman named Michaela. You want to share her story? Yeah, absolutely. So Michaela was a patient that first came to me for uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and once we had treated that with medication and with therapy, um, we really sort of addressed... Um, what was going on in her life. And, and she had a family member that was sick. Um, and ultimately all of this came to a head and she ended up taking up a, le- taking a leave of absence from work, um, which that was part of her real self-care process of working through the boundaries and the compassion and getting clear on what was really important to her. Um, and she took that leave and it was a huge risk um, uh, for her. And um, ultimately it ended with after that fact, coming back to work and um, being given essentially a promotion because she was able to then start like an ERG for other folks in her workplace that had mental health issues or had family members with mental health issues. And importantly, it was given like a line item and she you know, was kind of paid work. Um, that Obviously, that's a very specific employer situation. And, you know, I have a a section in the book that's like, yes, but, you know, sounds great. But, um, you know, not everybody has that um, an empathetic employer in that way. But, you know, my and there's other stories like that where it's, you know, about paid leave or other kind of um, social benefits that we should have in our country, really, that the government should be providing for us. We really shouldn't be depending on corporations to do this, but that's separate conversation. Um, my critique is very much structural, but the solution I'm providing, if it is a solution, the solution is personal, not commercial. And only if the solution is personal does it even have a chance of the cascade effect to changing our relationships in our workplaces and in broader systems. So, you know, I just want to say to that caller, I 100% agree with you. My, the thing that I would add is that I don't think it's just capitalism. I also think it's white supremacy. Um, and I actually, over the past few months, have been um, belatedly reading Isabel Wilkerson's cast and really kind of um, trying to understand more deeply like the connection between slavery and capitalism, right? Because the two are just so intertwined. Um, yeah. I, I Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I think we could we could definitely go even further. And I just I just want to bring in an, another comment from Noelle. She tw- she tweets, it's really important to go deeper into true self-care because superficial self-care just makes you more efficient at work to help out your company more than yourself. And another listener writes, as a mother of two special needs children, one highly impacted, I lead a very conditional existence. I am always last in line for any kind of care. I struggle with my self-imposed guilt about not being able to stay on top of my duties and my to-do list. If I spend some time on that, if I spend some time on something that is not on that list, I just feel guilty. My solution has always been via relationships. I make plans to hang out with friends, even better if it's outside and away from the source of my struggle, my house. So for me, escape equals self-care. What do you think of that? Yeah. Gosh, I'm I'm um thank you for calling and for sharing and what what the listener just said about a conditional existence. Ooh. 
right? Um, yeah, yeah. And and I think everything that you described about why why you need escape, that sounds right to me, right? That um and and understanding why you need that and. You know, it's interesting, you you brought up relationships. And in the book, you know, I have little thought exercises of ways to sort of ask yourself different questions. All of these things come back to relationships and how we come to our relationships, what we expect of our relationships, our support system, our friends, our family members. Like ultimately for me, um, you know, I wrote this book for women because that's my clinical practice, but I think it applies across the board. Um, it's about figuring out how to take up space and then how to get your needs and wants met in your relationships. Absolutely. I think relationships really, at least for me, really help fill the cup. Uh, you're listening to Forum and we're talking about stress and self-care. We're joined by Dr. Pooja Lakshman. She's a psychiatrist and author of the new book, Real Self-Care. And we really want to bring more co- more listeners into the conversation. So what does well-being mean to you? What helps you recharge Is it challenging to take care of yourself? Is it easier to take care of others? Why? Email your comments and your questions to forum at kqed.org, or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum, or you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We've got some really great comments. Susan writes, in many, way, in many years as a psychologist, I've observed that unreasonable expectations of oneself are sometimes the problem. Reasonable ones are self-care and helping children have reasonable expectations of what they should have and do. Sometimes not right now is the most lovable message to a child. And another listener writes, please remember that most people don't have money to pay for psychotherapy or a professional massage and don't have the choice to slow down at their job without being fired. We will talk to all of that because all of those things because you do go at go you do talk about those at length in your book Pooja. We'll be right back after this break to talk about why and how you can take care of yourself and really recharge and have a more sustainable lifestyle. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back. I'm Leslie McClurg, and you're listening to Forum. We're talking about stress and self-care. We're joined today by Dr. Pooja Lakshman. She's a psychiatrist and author of the new book, Real Self-Care. And right before we went into a break, we had a comment from a listener that, yeah, this all sounds great, but what if you can't afford any kind of self-care? What if you're, you know, really just trying to make, you know, ends meet? What, if, what do you do? What, what advice do you have for those, you know, that, that really don't have the means to, to access any kind of self-care? Yeah. So um, in the book, I reference Audre Lorde quite a bit. Um, and and one of the quotes in the book from Audre Lorde is, for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. You know, the reason that I'm reconceptualizing self-care not to be a product to buy or a thing to do is because when it's an internal decision-making process, then you have access to it even without as much resource or privilege. I'm not saying that you have the same access to it, but you have at least the chance of thinking about what choices are available to you and what's possible. So I think in particular, if you're somebody who, you know, is a single parent, is a black person, is a low wage worker, um, and you kind of are working for the man and sort of stuck in all these different systems, I think it really does take, um, allowing yourself to um, even just think about yourself, you know, allowing yourself to take the time, right? Um, I And I don't think it's easy. I don't, and I don't have like a specific prescription for every single person out there. But I think one of the things that I talk about in the book is that for me as a medical student, when I was on the lowest rung of the ladder in my surgical rotation, self-care was actually asking that my team knew my name. And it wasn't just, hey, med student. It was, oh, no, my name's Pooja. Mm-hmm. That was self-care. Well, Carla writes, in this, she kind of, this, this the comment I'm choosing because, you know, you do have kind of a prescription, you know, a four-step thing. And the first one we've touched on, which is boundaries. And, and she has a specific question about that. She writes, as a stay-at-home mom of two, I spend all of my days totally depleted. I have an emotionally unsupportive husband and every day is a grind. I know I need self-care, and I hate when friends tell me to go to a spa or to go do a girl's weekend because it doesn't change a thing in my life for the long term. So how do you set up boundaries with people in your life that don't respect those boundaries? Yeah, I mean, I think the listener that's calling in, it sounds like a really, really tough situation. And I think like part of it is understanding that it's not something that's going to be fixed overnight. There is absolutely always a cost to setting boundaries. And if the person that is not amenable to your boundaries is your partner, then there's some tough decisions, I think, that you have to make. And I say this as somebody who blew up her life and then it didn't work out. So I think, you know, one of the things that I'm noticing in some of the conversations I'm having talking about the book is I think um, sometimes the answers that we get back when we're moving through this process can be a little bit scary. Right. And I don't think that usually the answer of sort of like destroy your life is not the right answer, you know? (laughs) Um, Right. But if that's like a whisper that's there, you know, my advice would be like, you don't have to act on any of those things. Right. It's more about sort of a process of taking one small step. Is there an ally? Is there somebody in your life that you feel safe with um, that you can start maybe having more real or deeper conversations? Um, Is there somebody in your church group or in your community? Right. 
Um, that's one of the reasons um, that me and my two psychiatrist colleagues and friends um, started our company, Gemma, because we know that like most people don't have the resources to be able to pay for seeing a therapist for an hour a week. And, and even to be frank, having the time and space to read a book, like read a whole book. Mm-hmm. I don't know many people that have time to do that. <laughs> well, let's get it. Let's go to Kendall in San Francisco. I, I think Kendall is also looking for some advice. Kendall, you're on the air. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. Okay. Should I turn my radio off? I'm kind of confused. Sorry. Just ask your question. Go for it. You sound great. Uh oh. Did we lose Kendall? Oops. Kendall, are you there? Whatever you did, don't do that. <laughs> All right, we'll come, we'll come back to Kendall in a second. But, but so boundaries is your first thing. So, right, create the right boundaries. It sounds like also invite in the people who really help refuel you. And, and the second one, the second step is treat yourself with compassion. What do you mean there? Yeah, you know, because when you start setting boundaries, ultimately the first thing that you feel is guilt. Um, you feel bad for letting people down. And um, so the next step, with self-compassion is, you know, I have so many patients that are sort of in this like martyr mode and I've done this myself, you know, this, I'm not saying this is just patients. I feel this too, where it's like, you're giving, 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 you're giving to everybody else, but you aren't actually, um, taking up any of your own space. And then you're resentful. You're like really super angry, but you won't admit that you're angry (laughs) and you're waiting for somebody else to say, Hey, Pooja, you seem really exhausted, really tired. Maybe you should take a break. Nobody else is going to give that to you. So when I say compassion, it's less about, um, it is less about like the crystals or the affirmations. And it's much more about how you talk to yourself, you know, and whether we were talking before about like that inner critical voice, are you constantly beating yourself up to do more and be more? And instead asking yourself new types of questions, like questions like, well, how will I know when I'm enough? Like what, what is enough? When, when will I know that I've done enough? Maybe you just are enough. Let's go back. Yeah. Kendall is Kendall is on the air. She's back with us. Kendall, just ask your question, my dear. You're here. Hi. Um, so two things are going on. Um, I come from the restaurant industry and, um, you know, fast, fast-paced restaurants. And I'm really good at it, but I don't know how to slow down once I leave. And I'm always operating at, you know, emergency level. Um, I have an 18-year-old who has had some emotional stuff, and I basically, I am dependent on my ex-husband, and I just feel like I'm at the mercy of him. I'm always running around, and I just kind of feel like I don't even have me anymore. And I, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, you talk a lot about this, sort of losing touch with yourself. What, What advice do you have for Kendall, Pooja? Yeah. Um, well, first, thank you for calling. And, and it, I acknowledge that it sounds like a really um, exhausting place to be. Um, I would think about when was the last time in your life that you were able to slow down? Like, do you have any memories of that? What What was happening at that time? What did it feel like for you? Like, I, I guess I would I would sort of be curious to sort of think through a little bit more when that was. And it might have even been like 20 years ago. Right. Um, so many moms in my practice, you know, it's it's sort of like especially if you have a couple kids, it's like you come out after a decade and you're just kind of like, whoa, 
who am I? And so you have really have to sort of go back to reconnect. And, and that's why I often in the book, I come back to values. You know, I think values are sort of a buzzword, but I, I think about it as, as um, getting clear about your how, you know, we all have all the things that we need to do in our lives, but like, how do you want to come to those things? And what I hear this listener saying is that the way that you're coming to things is sort of from like an agitated place, like a frenzied place. And I wonder, is there a way, a way to come to all the things that you have to do in your life with a quality or a value that feels more authentic to you as opposed to sort of like the baseline agitation Again, not not a quick fix, but but no, very, not a quick fix, <laughs> right? But but that but really making life changes, like really actually changing your life, is going to be is not going to be an overnight kind of thing. So, good luck, Kendall, on slowing it all down and and, and finding your way back to yourself. Uh, Natasha writes, Mia Birdsong's book How We Show Up makes a strong case for how our pursuit of the American dream actually inhibits community building, social connection being needed and needing others that is so crucial crucial to our well-being. I think that's a really good point and one I wanted to get to in this conversation with you Pooja is that if you are taking care of yourself, if you are slowing down, what is possible in terms of building out or making more connections and building more community? Yeah, you know, I think that that piece is so important, the community care. Um that's why the last sort of principle of real self-care is about power and accessing power and understanding that, especially if you're somebody who has privileges, that part of the responsibility here is to be putting time, energy, um, thought into your community, whether that's your kid's school, whether that's your neighborhood, whether that is your workplace. Um, I 100% agree with the, um, you know, we've been talking about capitalism, right? Like the pace of capitalism and the way that capitalism makes time equal dollars, like the way to kind of pull that back is with community. The work of building community, though, is so labor intensive, right? Angela Garbus talks about this in her book, Essential Labor, as well, right? It's care work, right? Because it's relationship building and relationship building never ends, mm-hmm. right? It's ongoing. Um, so I guess coming back to my earlier point that if when when self-care is something that's commodified, then we have no chance of building community and actually making real change in our society. But if we use this more internal definition of real self-care that is personal, then if you you as a person are making changes in your life, then you can model to others and have these downstream effects, whether it's in your workplace with paid leave or, you know, there's a million different examples. Um, but I think that's the only way that we have a shot. I think the other thing that I would say here is that it's also so easy to fall into cynicism and to just kind of be like, well, the world is a mess. It's all on fire. There's nothing. Well, I'm just one person, you know, so I'm just going to doom scroll. And like, <laughs> that's just all I can do. Right. And so I also see this process, whether we call it real self-care, you know, whatever we're calling it, I see it as like, this is the way that we buffer ourselves and we keep coming back to a place of agency. Like, yes, there's going to be days where you doom scroll and like, that's because you're human and it's hard, but like, can you come back? 
to taking one small step, to reaching out to a neighbor, to showing up to a school event, to donating to a campaign, you know, whatever the thing is, like keep coming back to that connection and that engagement. One thing I just keep hearing you say over and over and over too, or what I hear through my own ears is just pause, like just that one, take a pause the next time you're about to sort of instinctually do something. And that alone might might lead to some sustainable changes eventually, hopefully. You're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in for Mina Kim. Let's take another call. Uh, Deborah from San Jose, you're on the air. Hi, how are you guys doing today? Good, go ahead. Uh- I'd like to thank you for um, everything you're saying. I, 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 would, I would say to Dr. Um, would you agree that this is like overall just a human problem and, and not, you know, um, some, I mean, of course, I'm a minority single mother, um, you know, so I can understand. Uh, I, I just want to. Yeah, do you, do you think it's I think it's a lot. I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's it's a human problem. You mean a human problem sort of regardless of the socioeconomic status of someone, like a human problem across any stratus? Correct. You know, and I mean, it's like um, you're in psychology, correct? You're I'm a psychiatrist. Yes. Yes. Psychiatrist, excuse me. Even deeper. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not, I don't have a, I'm, I'm sure that if we were to talk, we'd have a lot of things that we would agree on. And yet, you know, we're, we're different backgrounds, this and that. That's exactly what makes it a human problem. And there's only certain eyes that can see. And I think you're very, very uh, amazing at doing it. And, and I love everything that you're talking about. And I appreciate you very much for, for spreading this message because it's one that I, I know and yet I don't practice. <laughs> and, you know, I, I would like to, I would love it if more of us could hear it, people in that, in that, um, everywhere you know not just those not just people like me because it's like you said that big world the big problem i'm only one me like go ahead girl do some more paperwork <laughs> Get your, let those people let your review board be it and, and you own that because that that's it is a very it's a it's a huge topic and it's what i'm hearing from you deborah is basically this is a problem that touches everyone is that is that what i'm hearing it's absolutely yeah i think so I think, you know, I, I agree with you, I think, but I would add some kind of maybe caveats. Um, I wrote the book specifically for people who identify as women because that's my clinical expertise. Um, but I think for sure across the gender spectrum, this absolutely applies. Um, and I think I think what I would say is that I think it touches people in different ways. And I do think that identity makes a difference in 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 your capacity to make choices. And when I say identity, I mean like the color of your skin or like whether you um, have a disability or whether you are somebody that has access to family support. You know, I spend a lot of time working with new moms. So, you know, kind of like how who's who's your village, right? So all of these different things um, impact your ability to make choices. And so then when we're talking about real self-care and we're talking about the pause and how do we move towards building community depending on your um where you are in the caste system right there's different ways for you to engage and there's different um you you have different choices available to you so i mean i i do think i agree that it is it is a human problem and, and the other thing that i would also just say is that um you know my company gemma which i founded with two of my psychiatrist colleagues, you know, we felt like in women's mental health in particular, the 
needs of women of color, of black women, of indigenous women, um, like there's, I do think there's like different sets of needs. And so we're trying to figure out how do we do that in a way that is inclusive? Like there's certainly overlap 100%. And I think that, um, when you're able to kind of, um, apply different lenses, I think it makes it a little bit easier, especially from a cultural standpoint, to be able to apply some of these tools in your own life. Jennifer writes on Instagram, I was laid off back in November and positive self-talk and compassion has been pushing me forward. Whenever I find myself spiraling into a deep trench of negative thoughts, I pause and mentally make an effort to think differently. It's so natural for us to speak so negatively about ourselves. And another listener writes, I like what your guest is saying. Rather than seeing self-care solely as engaging in something pleasurable, I think of it as maintaining one's wholeness, the integrity of one's personhood. It's not always pleasurable in the moment, but reaping the future benefits can be. To me, it's how you move through life, including your health, your your vocation, how you treat your relationships, and doing what you need to do to maintain your spirit, despite the situation you find yourself in. I think those are really apt apt for this, for our conversation here. We have just a few more minutes. Is there anything that you wanted to make sure that listeners take away from this conversation before we close, Pooja? Well, maybe I'll just end with another Audre Lorde quote, that self-care is self-preservation, like that wonderful listener just said. Um, this was such a, a, a brilliant conversation, and, and I'm just so impressed with the ways that the listeners have really kind of taken in the message. So um, you can start right where you are. I'm not saying that this is easy, but it is something that, um, and it, it is something that takes time, but it's kind of the beginning of a different type of conversation with yourself. Well, thank you for inspiring us all to pause today. <laughs> that was Dr. Pooja Lakshman. She's a psychiatrist and the author of the new book, Real Self-Care. You've been listening to Forum. This hour has been produced by Carolyn Smith, Rachel Vasquez, and Grace Wan. Marlena, excuse me, Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Jim Bennett, and Christopher Beal. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reiniger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Toven Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. Stay tuned for this. Sorry, not stay tuned. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Love you, I don't love nobody else, yeah Tell them they can take that elsewhere Self-care, I'm treating me right Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.